Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend asked if I would read from my work as something they might find comforting and familiar amidst the uncertainty and anxiety we're experiencing from multiple sources in 2020. As of this opening, I've read Perishables, the first book of my five-book vampire and urban fantasy series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka falstaffbooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's bit.ly, slash perishables link. Now I'm reading from my short stories and other works, and occasionally I'll invite on a writer friend for special episodes called Public Domain Radio. Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome to episode 71 of Social Distancing Radio. Let's jump right back into Dracula with chapter 11, but first, a sip of reading wine. Mm. Oh, that's so good. And now that I'm wearing my glasses, I can see the cat hair attached to my microphone from recording Rupert. Well, whatever, there's probably cat hair in every part of my house and body. So, mm. oh, that is good stuff. Okay. Chapter 11 Lucy Wistenra's Diary, 12 September. How good they all are to me. I quite love that dear Dr. Van Helsing. I wonder why he was so anxious about these flowers. He positively frightened me. He was so fierce. And yet he must have been right, for I feel comfort from them already. Somehow I do not dread being alone tonight, and I can go to sleep without fear. I shall not mind any flapping outside the window. Oh, the terrible struggle that I have had against sleep so often of late. The pain of the sleeplessness or the pain of the fear of sleep, with such unknown horrors as it has for me. How blessed are some people whose lives have no fears, no dreads, to whom sleep is a blessing that comes nightly, and brings nothing but sweet dreams. Well, here I am tonight, hoping for sleep, and lying like Ophelia in the play, with virgin crants and maiden strumments. I never liked garlic before, but tonight it is delightful. There is peace in its smell. I feel sleep coming already. Good night, everybody. Dr. Seward's Diary 13 September Called at the Berkeley and found Van Helsing as usual up to time. The carriage ordered from the hotel was waiting. The professor took his bag, which he always brings with him now. Let all be put down exactly. Van Helsing and I arrived at Hillingham at eight o'clock. It was a lovely morning. The bright sunshine and all the fresh feeling of early autumn seemed like the completion of nature's annual work. The leaves were turning to all kinds of beautiful colors, but had not yet begun to drop from the trees. When we entered, we met Mrs. Westenra coming out of the morning room. She is always an early riser. She greeted us warmly and said, You'll be glad to know that Lucy is better. The dear child is still asleep. I looked into her room and saw her, but did not go in lest I should disturb her. The professor smiled and looked quite jubilant. He rubbed his hands together and said, Aha, I thought I had diagnosed the case. My treatment is working. To which she answered, You must not take all the credit to yourself, doctor. Lucy's state this morning is due in part to me. 
How do you mean, ma'am? asked the professor. Well, I was anxious about the dear child in the night and went into her room. She was sleeping soundly, so soundly that even my coming did not wake her. But the room was awfully stuffy. There were a lot of those horrible, strong-smelling flowers about everywhere, and she had actually a bunch of them round her neck. I feared that the heavy odor would be too much for the dear child in her weak state. So I took them all away and opened a bit of the window to let in a little fresh air. He will be pleased with her, I'm sure. She moved off into her boudoir, where she usually breakfasted early. As she had spoken, I watched the professor's face and saw it turn ashen gray. He had been able to retain his self-command whilst the poor lady was present, for he knew her state and how mischievous a shock would be. He actually smiled on her as he held open the door for her to pass into her room. But the instant she had disappeared, he pulled me suddenly and forcibly into the dining room and closed the door. Then, for the first time in my life, I saw Van Helsing break down. He raised his hands over his head in a sort of mute despair, and then beat his palms together in a helpless way. Finally, he sat down on a chair, and putting his hands before his face, began to sob, with loud, dry sobs that seemed to come from the very racking of his heart. Then he raised his arms again, as though appealing to the whole universe. God, 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 he said. What have we done? What has this poor thing done that we are so sore beset? Was their fate amongst us still, sent down from the pagan world of old, that such things must be, and in such way? That poor mother, all unknowing, and all for the best, as she think, does such thing as lose her daughter, her daughter body and soul? We must not tell her. We must not even warn her, or she die, and then both die. Oh, how we are beset. How are all the powers of the devils against us? Suddenly he jumped to his feet. Come, he said, come, and we must see and act. Devils or no devils, or all the devils at once, it matters not. We fight him all the same. He went to the hall door for his bag, and together we went up to Lucy's room. Once again I drew up the blind whilst Van Helsing went towards the bed. This time he did not start as he looked on the poor face with the same awful waxen pallor as before. He wore a look of stern sadness and infinite pity. As I expected, he murmured with that hissing inspiration of his which meant so much. Without a word, he went and locked the door and then began to set out on the little table the instruments for yet another operation of transfusion of blood. I had long ago recognized the necessity and begun to take off my coat, but he stopped me with a warning hand. No, he said, today you must operate, and I shall provide. You are weakened already. As he spoke, he took off his coat and rolled up his shirt sleeve. Again the operation. Again the narcotic. Again some return of color to the ashy cheeks. And the regular breathing of healthy sleep. This time I watched whilst Van Helsing recruited himself and rested. Presently he took an opportunity of telling Mrs. Westenra that she must not remove anything from Lucy's room without consulting him. That the flowers were of medicinal value and that the breathing of their odor was a part of the system of cure. Then he took over the care of the case himself, saying that he would watch this night and the next, and would send me word when to come. After another hour, Lucy waked from her sleep, fresh and bright and seemingly not the worse, not much the worse, for her terrible ordeal. What does it all mean? 
I am beginning to wonder if my long habit of life amongst the insane is beginning to tell upon my own brain. <clears throat> Lucy Westenra's Diary, 17 September. Four days and nights of peace. I'm getting so strong again that I hardly know myself. It is as if I had passed through some long nightmare and had just awakened to see the beautiful sunshine and feel the fresh air of the morning around me. I have a dim half-remembrance of long, anxious times of waiting and fearing, darkness in which there was not even the pain of hope to make present distress more poignant, and then long spells of oblivion, and the rising back to life as a diver coming up through a great press of water. Since, however, Dr. Van Helsing has been with me, all this bad dreaming seems to have passed away. The noises that used to frighten me out of my wits, the flapping against the windows, the distant voices which seemed so close to me, the harsh sounds that came from I know not where and commanded me to do I know not what, have all ceased. I go to bed now without any fear of sleep. I do not even try to keep awake. I have grown quite fond of the garlic, and a boxful arrives for me every day from Harlem. Tonight, Dr. Van Helsing is going away, as he has to be for a day in Amsterdam. But I need not be watched. I am well enough to be left alone. Thank God for Mother's sake and dear Arthur's, and for all our friends who have been so kind. I shall not even feel the change, for last night Dr. Van Helsing slept in his chair a lot of the time. I found him asleep twice when I awoke, but did not fear to go to sleep again, although the bows or bats or something napped angrily, almost angrily, against the window panes. The Pall Mall Gazette, 18 September. The Escaped Wolf. Perilous Adventure of Our Interviewer. Interview with the Keeper in the Zoological Gardens. After many inquiries and almost as many refusals, and perpetually using the words Pall Mall Gazette as a sort of talisman, I managed to find the keeper of the section of the Zoological Gardens in which the wolf department is included. Thomas Builder lives in one of the cottages in the enclosure behind the Elephant House, and was just sitting down to his tea when I found him. Thomas and his wife are hospitable folk, elderly and without children, and if the specimen I enjoyed of their hospitality be of the average kind, their lives must be pretty comfortable. The keeper would not enter on what he called business until the supper was over and we were all satisfied. Then when the table was cleared and he had lit his pipe, he said, Now, sir, you can go on and ask me what you want. You'll excuse me refusing to talk of professional subjects afore meals. I gives the wolves and the jackals and the hyenas and all our section their tea afore I begins to ask them questions. How do you mean, ask them questions, I carried. <coughs> How do you mean, ask them questions, I queried, wishful to get him into a talkative humor. Itting of them over the head with a pole is one way. Scratching of their ears is another when gents is as flush once a bit of a shower off to their girl, to their gals. Wow. Oh, okay. Jesus. I should have read this before I tried to read this. Let me give that another run. Hmm. <clears throat> Itting them over the, itten of them over the head with a pole is one way. Scratching of their ears is another when gents as is flush wants a bit of a show off to their gals. I don't so much mind the fust. The itten with a pole before I chucks in their dinner but I waits till they've had their sherry and coffee, so to speak, before I tries on with the ear scratching. Mind you, he added philosophically, there's a deal of the same nature in us as in them there animals. 
Here's a you a coming and asking me questions about my business, and I, that grumpy like, that only for your bloomin' arf quid, I'd have seen you blowed fust for I'd answer. Not even when you asked me sarcastic like, if I'd like you to ask the superintendent, if you might ask me questions. Without offense, did I tell you to go to hell? You did. <laughs> I love this guy all of a sudden. <laughs> And when you said you'd report me for using of obscene language that was hitting me over the head, but the arf quid made that all right. I weren't to go into fight, so I waited for the food, and did with my owl as the wolves and lions and tigers does. But Lord love your art, now that the old ooman has stuck a chunk of her tea cake in me, and rinsed me out with her blooming old teapot, and I've lit up, you may scratch my ears for all you're worth, and won't get even a growl out of me. Drive along with your questions. I know what you're coming at, that air escaped wolf. Exactly. I want you to give me your view of it. Just tell me how it happened. And when I know the facts, I'll give you I'll get you to say what you consider was the cause of it, and how you think the whole affair will end. Alright, Governor, this ear is about the old story. And I think I'm gonna stop there, because that seems like a good place. We'll come back to this guy. Maybe I'll read it his bit before I try to read it again tomorrow. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. The theme music is Bucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution License at ccmixter.org. <laughs>